welcome to Your Apple Update. I'm your host, John Sherrod. And uh, of course, as always, Your Apple Update is here to bring you the latest, most important news in the Apple world this week and also kind of bring some analysis to bear on that. And a couple of particularly big things happened this week. One was that Apple has now announced what the dates will be for its Worldwide Developers Conference. And, um, you know, of course, as the whole world has been affected by COVID-19, Apple announced several weeks ago that it was going to be doing what a lot of uh, conferences have been doing uh, in in response to this, which is to move to an all virtual format. Um, For for those that don't know, uh, the Worldwide Developers Conference, or WWDC, usually takes place around the first week of June every year. And it's where developers actually travel to uh, a conference put on by Apple. In the last few years, it's been held in San Jose, California, but it's been held in San Francisco. Uh, was there for many years as well. Um, and the purpose of this is a couple of fold. There's, it always kicks off with a big keynote that was, in, of course, in the past, in years past, led by Steve Jobs, but it's been led by Tim Cook for the last several years, um, where Apple announces, uh, first of all, its new operating systems for the fall. So, you know, um, this year we would expect to see uh, Mac OS 10.16 with whatever California place name Apple chooses to call it. Uh, we would expect to see iOS and iPadOS 14. Uh, we would expect to see tvOS 14 and watchOS 7. Um, it's not usually a hardware-focused event. Sometimes Apple does release new hardware at WWDC. But typically, really what it's there for is to focus on s- software. Um, and to so that developers can begin preparing their apps for um, all of Apple's new operating systems because new operating systems include new features from Apple but there's also new um, frameworks that developers can take advantage of Uh, maybe new software development kits maybe new human interface guidelines Um, certainly uh, oftentimes new security uh, enhancements that are good for the user but gives the developers some extra work to make sure that their apps are compliant with it um, so in years past, Apple would uh, make the announcement of when the dates would be for WWDC many weeks before so that developers could begin uh, making travel arrangements to travel out to WWDC. And there was always way more interest in people attending than Apple had the capacity to serve. So the tickets were, were fairly expensive, um, something like $1,500 if I remember correctly. and. You know, that price, um, I think, is, is that high uh, in large part just to, to kind of limit demand somewhat um, because, you know, um, what, what this does not only, the reason why developers want to be there is because they get um, a whole bunch of sessions led by Apple software engineers where they get a lot more in-depth information than what Apple announces in the keynote, but also they get to uh, interact face-to-face with Apple software engineers and can... Um, ask them questions and get feedback directly about stuff that they're working on and and hear directly from the Apple engineers who are making the decisions and implementing the things in the operating system. So it's a big deal for developers. Um, And so this is the first year where they've had to move to an all virtual format. And, you know, there's going to be pros and cons of this. The the big con, of course, is that those developers who would normally be getting that FaceTime with Apple engineers are not going to get it. And I wonder if there'll be any way for a virtual version of that. Certainly the sessions will continue virtually. The keynote will, will happen virtually. It'll be interesting to see if they even do have Tim Cook come out on the stage. I suspect that it will be um, very highly produced, but but very like studio focused. It'll be really interesting to see how they cover that. Um, it's going to be very different no matter what they do from, from years past, where there's usually a large audience of both developers and press 
in attendance at that keynote. Um, of course, we still expect them to announce all those operating system updates for the fall. Um, I'm sure they will brief us on what they've been working on as far as their participation in um, helping out with the COVID-19 situation. More on that later in the podcast. Um, but again, this is going to be an unprecedented event, and I'll be fascinated to see it. Now, of course, the pros of it are that um, it's free to attend if you're an Apple developer. Now, you do have to pay a $99 per year fee to be in Apple's developer program. But if you do that, you get free access to the full, uh, the full conference, basically. Uh, so you'll be able to use the Apple developer app uh, on your iPhone or iPad to tune into those sessions or on the Apple TV. And, uh, you know, so certainly people are going to be able to save money by not buying those tickets and traveling. And that's going to be a pro as well. So I'm interested to see what Apple does. I'm also really interested to see, um, you know, if Apple continues to do the virtual version of this conference, even after the coronavirus season is way in the rearview mirror for us all. Um, you know, are they going to want to go back to a live event or, or are they going to want to continue this virtual thing? I could definitely see them going either way. If they continue the virtual thing, I mean, one of the downsides for them is that they've got to ship a lot of their top engineers out to this conference for a whole week where they're they're performing a valuable service and talking to the developers, but they're not furthering their work on the projects they're working on. So I could see Apple preferring to maybe not have them spend as much time, you know, having to do the whole conference thing and and uh, and just kind of forego that. Um, also, it's, it's incredibly complicated and expensive to put on a large event like that. So... It's just going to be interesting to see that. So, you know, in addition to what we'd expect any given year, which is updates on the new OS is coming out in the fall, this is going to be an interesting year to watch because for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of rumors, and we talked about this on the podcast even in recent last couple of episodes, that uh, Apple is on the verge of announcing a transition in whole or in part of its Macintosh computers away from the Intel processors that they've used for the last 15 years and over to... Uh, ARM-based processors that are designed internally by Apple. And uh, WWDC would be the time to make that kind of announcement if they're planning to do it in 2021 because developers are going to have to get all their apps, recompile all their apps for that new processor hardware and the the instruction set. And I'm definitely not a technical person in that level, but it'll require uh, presumably um, a non-trivial amount of work for each developer to do that. And they're They'd want to probably have some developers on stage from big companies like maybe Adobe and Microsoft to to show off what they've been working on and getting their apps ready. Uh, when Apple made the transition last time, they did it at WWDC in, in 2005 um, and then started shipping Intel-based Macs in 2006. So um, that's going to be the really interesting storyline to watch is, is this the year that Apple does make that announcement? Um, and rumors have been flying that, that that's what's going to happen. So... That's in addition to just the novelty of the virtual conference uh, imposed by this crazy coronavirus situation. It's going to be really interesting to see if Apple makes a massive, massive change to its Mac line as far as moving from one processor uh, type to another. So that's going to be the big thing to watch. So that was uh, one of the big Apple of Apple news items this week. The other uh, main one was um, that Apple uh, released an updated 13-inch MacBook Pro. And uh, probably the most... Well, let me get through a couple of the basic things about it. One, this now is the last of Apple's laptops to receive the new Magic Keyboard update. And that goes back to something we've talked about on this podcast over the last 
three and a half years is the, the controversy over Apple's butterfly keyboard mechanisms that were introduced with the 2016 uh, MacBook Pro when the touch bar MacBook Pro came out. And uh, the keyboard proved to be controversial just in how it behaved and felt, but also um, it had a higher number of, of failures of keys than uh, you would expect in, in a laptop from Apple or anyone else. Now you were still unlikely statistically to experience this issue, but a lot more people experienced issues with that butterfly keyboard mechanism than had ever experienced an issue with an Apple keyboard before. And so uh, last year, and, and Apple kind of refined that, they made changes to the design of the butterfly keyboard mechanism. Um, they were on a third generation of it basically with the last laptops to ship with it. But since then Apple has gone away from that entirely back to a more traditional scissor switch mechanism and they call this the Magic Keyboard, and they introduced this last year in the 16-inch MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Pro moved from a 15-inch model to a 16-inch model. That was one thing they did. And alongside that, that 16-inch MacBook Pro also moved to a slightly thicker, slightly heavier design. You know, Apple had also been under a lot of criticism for um, maybe uh, favoring thinness and lightness to an extreme that made some of the compromises uh, kind of out of whack I guess and so you know Apple moved back to a slightly thicker slightly heavier design which probably means more room for batteries and, and larger cooling fans and that sort of thing so uh, you know cut to this week the new 13 inch MacBook Pro was released and it does have the magic keyboard and not only does that uh, bring the older style scissor key scissor switch key back that is more reliable but it also brings back the inverted T arrow key which which most people prefer um, it brings back the discrete power key touch ID sensor and the hardware escape key um, that a lot of people uh, preferred and, and missed when Apple went away from having a hardware escape key. Um, so that happened and also like with the 16-inch MacBook Pro it followed suit as far as being a little thicker and a little heavier again to accommodate a larger battery and uh, larger cooling fans and that sort of thing. Um, they also uh, double the storage across the configuration line, so that is always awesome when you get more bang for your buck. Of course, the prices stay the same, and you can actually configure one with up to 32 gigabytes of RAM and uh, up to four terabytes of SSD storage. So pretty capable machine, especially if you are gonna plug one into external displays anyway, and you want, and especially if you have to travel at all, this is a really attractive model. Probably the most interesting thing um, that we didn't get with this model is that a lot of people speculated after Apple moved from a 15-inch MacBook Pro to a 16-inch MacBook Pro last year, there was a lot of speculation that uh, when Apple did next upgrade the 13-inch MacBook Pro that it would move to a 14-inch display. And that did not happen, at least with this release. And, and I don't know if that means that um, Apple will eventually release a 14-inch MacBook Pro to replace the 13-inch MacBook Pro, maybe when they switch to ARM processors, if that does indeed happen. Uh, or it could be that Apple just really thinks that that 13-inch size is the sweet spot and really likes the 13-inch and 16-inch lines, and there's certainly a little bit more uh, distinction between those two screen sizes. So, um, of course, you know whether or not Apple was ever working on a 14-inch MacBook Pro, they're not going to say unless they announce one in the future. So we don't really know. We can only speculate and kind of ask that questions. But um, always great to see updates to any Mac product line and especially the MacBook Pro which is the most important uh, portable uh, computer that Apple makes and now uh, every laptop Apple makes the MacBook Air and both sizes of the, the MacBook Pro uh, all have the new Magic Keyboard and of course now you can get the Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro which we've talked about 
in recent weeks on the show. Uh, so pretty interesting stuff. And then the last bit of news from this week I want to go over is, um, you know, Apple, and we've talked about this again, and I've, I've blogged about it as well, that Apple has been, as many large companies have been doing, has been kind of uh, taking part in the fight against COVID-19 in a variety of ways. And today they actually announced, and I'll read a little bit from this press release, that they're awarding $10 million from something internally that Apple has called the Advanced Manufacturing Fund to a company called Copan Diagnostics, or if I'm saying that right, Copan, Copan, I don't know. But it says uh, in the press release, Apple today announced it is awarding $10 million from its advanced manufacturing fund to Copan Diagnostics, a market leader in sample collection kits that play a critical role in COVID-19 testing. This funding will allow Copan Diagnostics to rapidly accelerate their supply of sample collection kits for hospitals across the United States, expanding production from several thousand today to more than 1 million kits per week by early July. As part of this effort, Apple will support Copan Diagnostics expansion to a new larger facility in Southern California with advanced equipment that Apple is helping design. This expansion is expected to create more than 50 new jobs. So um, cool that Apple is putting $10 million into this, but probably the most interesting thing about it is that they are helping design advanced equipment for this. And it's pretty vague on that. It doesn't really go into a lot of details. There are some interesting pictures of some of these sample kits and that sort of thing. But um, of course, you know, um, a few weeks ago, Apple announced that they were um, manufacturing Apple-designed face masks for hospital workers. And uh, they did that, and not only that, but they released um, the plans for it so that anybody with the proper equipment could manufacture their own following those specifications and even created an Apple support document on it. So um, that was pretty cool that Apple was bringing its sort of design and production powers to bear on the fight, not only donating money, um, but uh, this again, kind of a similar thing where they're they're donating some money to this company, Copan, but also helping to design equipment for them and helping them to move into a larger facility. So I don't know how much information we'll get going forward about that, but pretty interesting to see Apple taking uh, a very uh, hands-on approach in their fight against COVID. Of course, they developed the COVID-19 app and website. Um, and they've got that mobility tracker that we've talked about. And uh, so they've really put a lot of investment into this to the point where I wonder what they've had to kind of lay aside uh, that they would have been working on otherwise. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what effect this will have on, you know, their product roadmap as far as shipping updates to these operating systems this fall and, and whatever other projects they're working on that they might not have even announced or that we know about. But they've been they've been very active, and of course, not only donating money, but but really bringing their their people and their uh, design and manufacturing and operations uh, expertise to bear. So, pretty interesting. That's most of the news this week. Um, over on my blog, uh, johnshera.net, I wrote a lot of this uh, stuff, and I also wrote up a piece um, dealing with something I mentioned on a couple of podcasts recently about a really amazing deal on Apple devices that's going on right now. Um, that you may not think of off the, you know, just kind of thinking about Apple's product lineup, but there is a really awesome deal out there right now where you can pick up a nice multi-device setup from Apple. And I've actually talked about this on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, so you may know what I'm talking about. But if not, head over to johnsherrod.net and uh, take a look at my latest article there. Um, definitely go there. I, I publish things usually about four times a week, a new blog post pop up there. Um, including a, uh, a weekend newsletter that I put out, which you can actually subscribe to. You subscribe and follow me on Medium, which is where I host my blog. 
then you will get that uh, newsletter that I put out. And you can also follow me on Twitter at JWSherrod, S-H-E-R-R-O-D. If you have any questions or anything you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, that's a great place to do it. You can go also to yourappleupdate.com, and that'll take you to uh, the page that shows you where you can subscribe to this podcast, and it's available on pretty much every podcast platform out there. Um, and if you like the podcast, you can also, it basically, there's a little virtual tip jar, basically, where you can, uh, you can, you can tip me some money um, if you'd like to support the show. And you can do that right with Apple Pay, so it's very secure and very quick and easy to do. That's it for this week. I'm your host, John Sherrod. We'll see you next week on Your Apple Update.